Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. All right, we're switching gears this Friday to talk about street furniture. Everything has a story, including that couch left out on the street in your neighborhood. As USC professor Keith Plocek puts it, just think of all the sitting, all the conversations, all the silences, life, death, butts, pets. And then one day that piece of furniture ends up on the street and a new story begins. For the rest of the hour, we explored the range of experiences and emotions street furniture inspires, from the excitement of a potential one-of-a-kind find to the queasy questioning of what's in those cushions. How do you react to the couches, tables, and chairs left out for the taking? Joining me is Keith Plocek, uh, Assistant Professor of Professional Practice at the USC Edinburgh School of Communication and Journalism and creator of StreetCouch.com. Keith Plocek, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Also with us is Jalissa James, a features reporter for the LA Times. Her recent story, Long Live Street Couches, Inside LA's Favorite and Controversial Obsession, inspired today's segment. Jalissa James, so glad to have you on as well. Hey, Mina. Thanks so much for having me. So what made you say, yes, there is an LA Times story here in Street Couches? Yeah, so it's actually interesting because the origin story actually has a lot to do with Keith. Um, I've long been obsessed with street couches, and I recently posted a picture of a pile of furniture in my neighborhood. It was a good-looking pile of furniture, and I posted it on my Instagram. I posted it on my Twitter as well, and it elicited so many different reactions from people. I mean, everything from where are the coordinates? I need to go pick that up right now to that's disgusting. Don't go anywhere near that. Um, but one of the accounts that responded to me on Twitter was street couch. And I think it was something like you see me or, or something like that, but um, it kind of just sparked this, this recognition of all the conversations that I've had around street furniture and just all the different opinions that there are, there, that there are, excuse me, in LA. And, and I think and cities all over. Yeah, well, you certainly brought to light the range of emotions that uh, street furniture can bring out. And I am curious to know if our listeners react to it as well. Are you a fan of street furniture or does the idea turn you off? Do you have a street furniture story? 
Whether leaving something out or finding something that you brought home and made your own, you can tell us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or you can email your stories and comments to forum at kqed.org. So staying with you, Jalissa, for a second, in addition to the emotions you brought out, you also brought out some interesting uh, motivations that people have for getting and bringing and refurbishing street furniture. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about some of the different reasons that people told you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the process of this reporting, a few themes started kind of surfacing. So there are folks like Keith who are kind of obsessed with the visual aspect of this thing and want to document it almost as, as an art form, right? But there are a lot of folks who have made a hobby and a lifestyle of picking this stuff up. And that's motivated by a bunch of different things. But a few of the ones I found um, are climate anxiety and, and this, um, this desire to cut down on waste, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of use what we have at hand <laughs> or on the street. Um, and a, a lot of other folks, this comes from necessity, right? I think for a lot of us who grew up shopping at secondhand stores or getting things for free off Craigslist, the idea of getting a couch off the street isn't that far off. And it's almost like an accessible, um, and it's an accessible way to, to furnish your home. So I think that yeah. those are really the, the motivations behind it that I found most. You talked to a musician named Rex Dean, who was a kid growing up poor and had to scavenge for things. And that's exactly um, what you're describing there in terms of necessity. And then it, it, eventually led to him valuing, um, you know, less consumption, uh, trying to go against the overconsumption that he sees. But for you, Keith Plocek, turning to you now, you see art in this street furniture and in particular street couches. Can you tell us what fascinates you so much about them that you even launched streetcouch.com? Sure, of course, I'm happy to. You know, I think you you kind of said it at the top that you know everything has a story, and I want to I want to emphasize that about you know anything a lamppost, the, the iPhone in your hand, everything you know we get to look at and find meaning and create meaning. Um, couches in particular, though, I just have kind of, in a sense, just kind of picked one thing and run with it. I I think you know they're just inter- they interest me in a, a lot of ways. One, there's just kind of the visual shock, you know, if you're used to seeing you know we know where a couch is supposed to be, right? You know, and we pretty much all houses, you know, of all class, you know, types of people, they, everyone has like a couch, right? But then when you see it on the street, it, there's a there's a jarringness to that in the very beginning. It's, you know, it was supposed to be in and now it's out. And then beyond that, you know, I think it really, they just, they do, you know, we spend so much time on them, you know, think about how much you, time you spend in your living room on that couch and how much of life happens. And so I think there's just, you know, something to seeing it suddenly out, you know, on the curb. Um, and then, you know, it just makes for an interesting juxtaposition. And from there, you know, you can think about the story that, you know, how to get there, who used to own it, and, you know, who might pick it up next. Yeah, it's so true. You know, when I was thinking about uh, when I've put things out like that, 
like a couch or a chair, it can feel very revealing to put out into the open, something that only people that I would have invited into my home would have seen before then. And then you realize that you kind of attached a little bit of vulnerability to it, especially if like no one picks it up or no one <laughs> pays it any attention. You're kind of like, oh, you know, why not? It's like you're, you're putting a little bit of yourself out there, just as you're saying in terms of putting out the stories. And we've got some nice comments. This listener tweets, I love my street furniture. I've gotten five nice chairs and an outdoor lounge. I see more stuff too when I'm walking my dog, but usually forget when I get home. I want to start setting reminders so I can go back in the truck before someone else gets it. I wouldn't take soft furniture like couches and chairs that have been sitting or anything broken. Uh, let's get your reactions to street furniture. You can call 866-733-6786, email us forum at kqed.org or post them on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. We're talking about street furniture with Jalissa James, a features reporter at the LA Times, and Keith Plocek, a USC professor and creator of streetcouch.com. And you, our listeners, are telling us if you're a fan of street furniture or does the idea turn you off? Do you have a street furniture story? Let me go to Joanne in San Jose. Hi, Joanne. Hello. What would you like to share? Well, I live in San Jose, but my daughter lives in this Silver Lake District of L.A., and often there's furniture left out on the streets, and particularly an uh, artist by the name of Lonesome Town does tagging on the furniture, couches, beds, refrigerators, and one day my daughter set out a little vanity, one of those little ones that sits on top of a dresser, and when she returned back home, he had tagged it, and she was so excited because she usually... <laughs> takes pictures of his stuff and posts it on Instagram and she immediately grabbed it back and took it back home. <laughs> that's, that's so great. It's like an art installation. So uh, Keith, have you seen a lot of tagged furniture out there? I, I want to say to the, to call it that that's amazing. Cause you know, and that's probably worth something now because that lonesome town artist, they sell prints and they're, oh, they're, wow. they're quite, you know, they're quite expensive. So <laughs> what a, what a crazy, um, what a crazy um, boon for you. Um, I've definitely seen, you know, Lonesome Town, I, I, I've seen they, they, um, the artist draws very like animated smiley faces on a lot of stuff. Um, there also are just, you know, random other tagging things that happen. I find that a little fascinating in, it, in itself because it's a, you know, if you think about a, in general, a graffiti artist or a graffiti writer, they're trying to stay up as long as possible. They want to like hit places where they, it, will be, it will remain but if you, you know, stop and spray paint a, a couch, you know, it's probably going to get picked up by um, bulk, bulk pickup pretty shortly thereafter. So it's like an interesting mm. impetus to do it. Well, let me go to Jamie in Oakland. Hi, Jamie. Hi. Hi. What would you like to say? What's your street furniture story? Well, I want to say I love the article, Julissa, and I'm also a big fan of capturing street furniture and posting on Instagram. I do the same in my North Oakland neighborhood, and um, I found it really interesting that I actually stopped to quantify the amount of furniture I, I 
took a picture of in 15 months within two miles of my home. And I discovered it was over 50,000 pounds of furniture, of which 89% was reusable. And so I've been kind of working on the angle of labor and equity and waste and trying to think of this as like a systemic issue. So I think it's really exciting to bring awareness how much opportunity is out there. It's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, you know, of how do we keep these things back in our local economies and bring in a local labor aspect. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a really exciting um, conversation. Is this Jamie Facciola featured on KQD's Right Nowish podcast? <laughs> it is. Well, well, Jamie, would love for you just to say a little bit more about that, just in terms of what you think street furniture represents in the context of of California's housing crisis. I know you've thought about that too, and and evictions and so on. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that we're all really bearing witness. Right. I think that that's kind of what this practice, what I've taken from this practice most is we've become these committed observers of these changes happening all around us. And it really does play out on the street. And what I was seeing in my neighborhood during the pandemic was very different than what I was seeing in my neighborhood before the pandemic with these piles of people being evicted. The piles look so different, the amount and the size, Hmm. kind of the ferocity of it. And so, though, I think it's it's complicated and nobody wants this stuff all over their neighborhoods. I think it's really important that it's out there for us to see because we need to do, we need to make systems that incorporate these things because there's no current market right now for furniture. What I found is that it's perfectly imperfect. It has no place to go. The curb is the last resort because it's usually not of sellable quality. And in order to donate it, it needs to be in better condition. So I think that there's a great opportunity to help, democratize the circular economy and create these furniture reclamation hubs that bring in local labor and local markets to fix what's already here in our front yards. Because as we know, they're treasures, right? They're not waste. It's actually treasures. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for calling in. Oh, thank you for having me. Jalissa, James, some of the things that Jamie was just talking about reminds me of this section in your piece where you talked about how, I think it was LA Sanitation and Environment was seeing that there were more couches, mattresses, other pieces of furniture um, that they were being called about. What do they attribute the increase to? Absolutely. So the amount of um, calls for bulky item pickup, which includes anything basically too big for a dumpster, couches, mattresses, any other piece of big furniture, went up 20% from 2019 to 2020. And they attribute this to people moving in and out, but I think a lot of it has to do with evictions as well. Um, You know, so many people lost their place to live during the pandemic. And and when you're moving out in a rush, and I think that this is something that Keith and I talked about a lot during our conversation, um, you can kind of tell based on how couches are dumped out on the street if somebody was moving out in a rush, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of the couches that we saw um, during the pandemic piling up were in that style, you know what I mean? Kind of just dumped on the side of of the road. It was whole living room sets dumped on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really telling. I mean, someone that I talked to, um, a researcher who lives in in Inglewood, Sarah Pino, she runs a Tumblr account for um, some of the street couches that she sees in the alley behind her home. And she mentioned she was in Inglewood, California, and it's a rapidly gentrifying area here in Los Angeles, right? And she mentioned as well that it's it's one of those things. I loved what Jamie said about that. It's we can tell so much about what is going on 
with a culture and, and how someone is living, you know, based on what we see on the street. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this listener's comment gets to that. Christina writes, Sally, our neighbor down the street, passed away. She was well into her 90s and kept her house like the most perfect 1960s time capsule. It was in great condition. Sadly, much of her life belongings were thrown in a dumpster in front of her house. I pulled out a beautiful orange pleather chair in perfect condition. Um, and then Karen writes, we had the most hideous orange plaid sofa bed. Can't even remember where it came from and finally decided it had to go. We had never put anything on the street that didn't get taken, but the thing sat there for almost a week, not knowing what else to do with it. We carried it up to the top of our yard and buried it. <laughs> Let me go to uh, Leah in San Luis Obispo. Hi, Leah. Hi. Thanks for having me. I wanted to say that um, my husband had a sudden job transfer and moved across the country, um, and I stayed on the other side of the country with the kids until we could coordinate the move, and so I had all the furniture, and he had no furniture in the new house here. And when we arrived from California, I realized that he had scavenged from the side of the road this oversized, terrible recliner. It was white fake leather. Uh, it has stains and it had tape on the, like duct tape on the arms. And it was just awful. And he loved it, but I refused to have it in the house. So he put it in the garage and he would sit out there and play guitar on this disgusting chair. And eventually after a couple of years, I purchased an oversized, you know, recliner for the inside of the home and I could coax him back out of the garage and he would stay inside to play guitar. And so he begrudgingly put this disgusting recliner out on the curb. And I kid you not, within an hour, that thing was gone. Someone had picked it up to love it somewhere else. Wow. That's a funny story. Thanks, Leah. Thank you. A couple more comments. Zoe tweets, another Street Couch documentary Instagram account is called At Couch Me Outside. And Chris writes, street furniture can have this communal feel and history, sort of like the couch from the series The Wire. The couch there saw a lot of life. Keith Plochek, that reminds me a lot of something you've said about the community you've kind of built as a result of this obsession with street couches. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the funny thing is, it was actually my conversation with Julissa that really made me appreciate that because I, um, you know, I post photos from, you know, People, people send me photos and um, and you know, most of them are friends I know, um, but you know, definitely random people from all over the world send me photos. And that is sort of, to speak frankly, that has sort of, you know, kept the project going because, you know, I I find these highly interesting and um, I think they're fun to look at, but sometimes I'm busy, you know, I'm driving, I'm not gonna frantically pull my car over and park, you know, with the flashers on and run down the street to get a photo. Sometimes I'm just gonna pass the couch by. But so there, there were been moments for sure when the um, Instagram, you know, account would have lined more fallow than it does. But you know, I have friends and uh, you know acquaintances that that send me photos. Um, it, it lends itself to fun kind of weird exchanges, though, because um, I don't. I think they're fun. Maybe other people think they're annoying, but you know, I don't, I don't always post everything. And it's kind of like, dude, I sent you this photo. You're not going to post it. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like at night and like the lighting's not very good. Um, they kind of, you know, it's, yeah, you just most get that. of them now, you know, I have to curate a little bit. So, but most of them kind of feel a little bit, sometimes that in the beginning, there's like, what? You, I thought you just were going to, it's, it's the trash, dude. You're not going to post. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not a good photo. 
don't know what to tell you. So that's so anyway. funny. So it's it's you've had to use a lot of different muscles <laughs> to right. manage all of this. A lot of different skills. Right. Um, well, right. this person writes. Um, I've grabbed some great finds from the street, but I don't put things out because it's garbage. It burdens your local waste management organization. Give stuff away directly. It's interesting, Jalissa James, because one of the things that you note is that you feel like furniture left out on the street has become part of the visual fabric of L.A. And I'm wondering if you could just explain what you mean by that a little bit. You've been saying that it's as representative of L.A., representative of L.A. as, say, quote, a sea of cars reflecting rays of sun on the 10. What do you mean? Yeah, of course. So I think subconsciously and not, especially in Los Angeles, we put our furniture out on the street constantly, right? (laughs) And what I mean by it makes up the, the visual fabric of LA, I think the same way that, you know, graffiti on an old building does, the same way that the rainbow umbrellas at Shade Street vendors here in our city do. I think if people pay attention, they'll realize that it's everywhere, right? And, you know, some people do pay attention, like Keith or, or one of my sources, um, Annalise or Zach, who pick this stuff up for sport. There are those of us who choose not to pay attention (laughs) just because they think it's an eyesore or what have you. But I think if people really stop and notice, it's one of those things that's everywhere in this city. You know what I mean? Especially when it comes to being closer to trash day or or what have you. It's one of those things that, that has really kind of made up our culture here in L.A. Mm-hmm. As you say, L.A.'s transient nature. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Jalissa James, features reporter for the Los Angeles Times, I want to make sure people know your piece is Long Live Street Couches Inside L.A.'s Favorite and Controversial Obsession. Also want to remind listeners we're talking with Keith Plocek, Assistant Professor of Professional Practice at the USC Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism and creator of StreetCouch.com. This happens to be a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. All right, let me go to some more calls. Let's go to Tim next in San Francisco. Hi, Tim. Hey, how you doing? Okay, so I have a really good story, and I'd like to make a comment. Uh, this is about 10 years ago. I was driving through the mission back to my house from having coffee, and I look on the side of the road, and I found two uh, Paul Frankel uh, bell tables. And if you're a vintage furniture collector, you'll know what those are. But they sold for about $4,000 for the pair. They were made in the 1930s. And they were just sitting there. So um, that was my biggest score. And I've been junking since I was a little kid. Uh, I'm a 50-year-old man. And my comment is uh, the reason why you see so much furniture on the side of the road, in my opinion, because I'm very into the construction of furniture. And that's one of the biggest problems is furniture now you know, I consider it fast furniture where they use very cheap materials like plywood and particle board. Yeah. And when the furniture breaks, you cannot repair it. Like the like you cannot repair particle board. So once that sofa or leg um, or chair breaks because it's made of particle board um, and it's so cheap, what you can do is just go down to, you know, Pottery Barn or, uh, or you know, Ikea and pick up a brand new one um, for a fraction of what it would cost to actually have something reupholstered or actually fixed. So for me, the issue is the manufacturing of furniture. And then my generation or my parents' generation, when they would buy a living room set or a dining room set or a bedroom set, they bought it for life and they bought it to hand down to their children. 
nobody does that anymore because there's no reason to. Everything is so fast and turns over, you know, we have a new show that will show a, you know, a new style or design and everybody wants that and just throws the, uh, you know, the old one out to the sidewalk. So that's how I see things. But there are really valuable things out there. So keep looking. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for that. And it's actually interesting when I think about furniture being passed down and, and your comment about fast furniture. This comment from Lisa is, I love my street finds from an awesome, gigantic plastic play structure that my kids used for years, found in an alley in D.C. to a darling chandelier I spray-painted bright yellow. My street finds are what garner the most compliments from friends. Nothing made me happier than when my teen daughter spotted a leather sofa in our neighborhood and asked if we could fit it in the car. The piece looked brand new, and I could tell from the construction and quality of leather it was a nice piece. Not all street furniture is trash, and now I have a protege. So this is one way to actually maybe get people to hang on to it longer and pass it down. Um, thanks, Tim, so much for the call. Let me go to Diana in Richmond. Hi, Diana. Hi. Yeah, um, this is a great show. I, most of my furniture has come from the street over the years, except recently. Now I can afford to actually <laughs> buy furniture. But I lived in San Francisco in the 90s, mid-90s which was, you know, the AIDS crisis was still happening there. And I remember a lot of yard sales in my neighborhood, the DuBose Triangle area. And I uh, came across a futon at one yard sale. And it turned out that these yard sales, um, I bought the futon and I had it for many years. And it turned out that a lot of these yard sales were um, due to people dying from AIDS still during that time. Um, so I kept that futon for quite a while, as I mentioned. It was just a reminder to me of that time when there weren't, you know, people were still frequently dying in the city. So. Yeah, Diana, thanks for, for sharing that. And uh, it's powerful. And Keith Polchek, it's making me wonder if you have noticed the role of the pandemic affecting in any way what you see out on the street. Um, I, I have definitely, um, I think, you know, kind of like, like Julissa touched on, I, I think that we're, you know, seeing, well, one, you know, some people are buying more couches, I think, because, you know, they, they realize that we're going to be here for a while, so I might as well get something different to sit on. And I do think that probably with, you know, the amount, I think they're probably less likely to get picked up, especially in those early, you know, months when we were, you know, washing our groceries and, and doing all that. Um, people are more sensitive So I definitely think it's, I don't know, very much so and you know these are there is a difference between a couch and a you know like a a, a wooden chair you know um you know i have a um a rocking chair i got off the street that i just you know sanded painted and i was done it was made of wood cool but like i i do have did have for a while a couch that i got off the um but i you know i disinfected the heck out of that and i you know really vacuumed it and even then people still stare kind of scans at it sometimes like wait where did you get this because you know they know it might have come from outside so there's just a difference when i think the pandemic has probably given us more furniture and also had it out there longer well keith pocek and Jalissa james thanks so much to both of you for helping us see that there is so much deeper meaning in street furniture than probably meets the eye Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Jalissa James is of the LA Times, and Keith Plochek is an assistant professor at USC and creator of streetcouch.com. 
Forum is produced by Blanca Torres and Ariana Prail, Judy Campbell, Tina Lauerberg, and Grace, Grace One. Susan Britton is the lead producer for the 10 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Eng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Thanks so much for listening to Forum. Have a great weekend. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.